Morning. Morning. You know, I think uh, one of the great tensions that we all live in is what do we do with unanswered prayer? Now, I think all of us face this uh, no matter where you're on the spectrum. Maybe you're here, you walked into church today, you're not even sure what you think of Jesus yet. Or maybe you've been following Jesus for 50 years. All of us have experienced unanswered prayer. Now, some of it's just not serious, right? You prayed to hit every green light, like on the way here, and you got snowed on instead, right? Uh, maybe you prayed that the snow would never come back. You know, some of it's just not serious. Of course, it's not going to be answered, but some of it is quite serious. You pray for your friend who's sick. You pray that God would heal them, and they're still sick. Uh, maybe you have a, a teenager or an adult child who isn't following Christ, and you've just sort of been interceding and praying that they would follow Jesus and they haven't. Uh, maybe you have something in your life that you're just asking God to take away, to remove, and he just hasn't. Now, as we uh, open up God's word today and we look at our passage in the book of Luke, we're going to see the disciples wrestling with God not doing what they had hoped for. And Jesus is actually going to give them some reasons for why things didn't go the way they had hoped. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, that's something that I want to know. That's something I want to dive deeper into. So if you want to follow along today, there's a, a Bible under every chair. Uh, we're going to be on page 842 in Luke chapter 9. Uh, or you can use the uh, Renovation Church app. You just have Bible in uh, weekly verses. Uh, we're actually going to skip over another story in Luke chapter 9, and that's the transfiguration. Uh, just, if you're not familiar with that word, uh, that's the story where Jesus' clothes kind of dazzle white, and Moses and Elijah come back and talk to him. And we're going to skip over it because we just did that exact passage in Luke chapter 9 just back in 2017. Okay, so we are now on verse 37 of chapter 9. Here's what it says. It says, The next day, when they came down from the mountain, that's Jesus and uh, three of his disciples, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. And it throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Okay, so the disciples were unable to help this boy. Now, I think that one of the most interesting verses of this passage is Jesus offers this pretty sharp rebuke to the disciples. Look, look one more time at verse 41. He says, You unbelieving and perverse generation... Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? The way that Jesus talks right there is pretty unfamiliar to our sort of American modern culture conception of Jesus, right? We're very familiar with sort of soft, kind-hearted Jesus, but not as much with intense Jesus. And so here we are, we're going through the Bible, and so we got to talk about it when we come to a passage like this. There's something here in his words, I think, that we, we cannot miss. We're told that the reason the demon did not come out, the reason they were unable to help the boy, even though they wanted to, was because they were unbelieving. Unbelief had crept into their hearts and somehow was affecting 
their unbelief was somehow affecting what was happening. Now, the gospel writer uh, Matthew, uh, he covers this uh, passage as well, and so the story, and so he gives us a little bit more uh, perspective. And here's what Matthew also adds in. So Matthew chapter 17 says, then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? That's the question I think that a lot of us want to know. Maybe not with that particular issue, but something's happening in your life. God's not moving the way you're asking, and you're going, but why, God? Now, this is not the answer to every situation, but it could be the answer to some situations. He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, which was the smallest of seeds, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Okay, this is a bit of a difficult theological tension in Christianity. And it's one that's really seen throughout the pages of the Bible. Here's the tension. On the one hand, when we come to the Christian faith, we sometimes will say, you know, it's not really about the strength or the measure of your faith. It's about the object in which you place your faith in. So in other words, even if you have a really weak faith in Jesus, what matters is that you have faith in Jesus. Like that's the mustard seed piece of it. Even a tiny bit of faith in the right object is enough, right? That's more important than you having a lot of faith in the wrong object. And yet, here's the tension. Here's the sort of the mystery of how our faith works. What's Jesus saying in this passage? The disciples said, how come we couldn't do it? And he says, because you have so little faith. That's why it wasn't working. So the measure of their faith, the amount of their faith, seems to be some sort of factor in regards to the outcome. It's like, but what do we do with that? And why is that? Before I even answer that question, I think we need to talk about the fact that the disciples throughout the pages of, the, of Luke seem to have both faith and unbelief. Faith and unbelief are not a dichotomy, right? It's not either or. You don't have one and not have the other. We covered this a little bit when we talked about doubt in the fall. And so if you say, I have 100% faith, you would actually be using the wrong word. If you have 100% faith in something, you have certainty in something, not faith. But if you have 97% faith in something, well, that means you have 3% doubt, or you could even say 3% unbelief. And so we always come to God with a mixture of faith and unbelief. Uh, Pastor Leo Clove says that the unbelief that the Jesus is referring to in this passage it's like unbelief that comes in to dilute your faith. It's a, unbelief waters down the percentage of your faith. So like, imagine that your faith is like a powerful liquid cleaner. Like the kind that only professionals use in large buildings. Like the rest of us shouldn't even be touching it, right? It could clean up anything. But unbelief is like a diluter to the work of that cleaner. It would be like, unbelief would be like taking water and just pouring it in over and over. Well, what would happen? It would dilute the effectiveness of the cleanser. Eventually, if you just keep pouring water and it's going to become like water, it's not really going to work. It's not going to do what it's supposed to. And so what I want to look at this morning is I want to look at three different diluters to your faith. Three ways that we as Christians tend to let unbelief come in and just water down what Jesus wants to do through us. 
Let me, let me make one more preface before we get into the three things. Sometimes God isn't going to answer your prayer just because it's just not in his will. But sometimes God is holding back or he's holding his timing back simply because our faith has been diluted by unbelief. I actually think this is one of the most fascinating things about this passage. Let me ask you this question. Was it God's will for this boy to be delivered? Yes, right? But because of the disciples' unbelief, the timing of it was pushed back, which is kind of fascinating. Okay, so let's look at the three things. Let's look at the first one, the first diluter to our faith. Here it is. Number one, believing in a small God. Now, this is a fascinating story in the Bible because it's actually told three different times from three different authors, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's in Luke and Matthew, but it's relatively short, but Mark gives us an even longer version of it, and Mark tells us that there was actually a conversation that happened between the boy's father and Jesus as well. So let's take a look at that, because that's going to give us more context on what's happening. So Mark chapter 9. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him, but if you can do anything... Take pity on us and help us. If you can? <laughs> it's like, I'm nervous if Jesus says that to me, right? If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Do you see that mixture? Again, that's who we are. Like, I know there are people out there that like to say, oh, I just believe, and oh, that's, I just think, oh, good, good for you, because I'm a little of both, right? One of the great diluters to your faith is the fact that most of us believe in a small God. Like, we believe in a God who blesses our meals, keeps us safe as we travel, and maybe could help us get a raise at work. And that's it. I was really convicted of this a couple of weeks ago, maybe a week and a half ago. I was putting my daughter to bed, and she had just an like, incredibly stuffy nose, like so stuffy that she just couldn't even fall asleep at night. And, and she said, Daddy, will you pray for me? And, and I offered up, you know, just kind of off the cuff, just a classic, very American evangelical-like prayer. Maybe, maybe many of you pray like this. And I said, God, watch my faith here. I said, God, help Liviana feel a little bit better when she wakes up. You ever pray like that? And she interrupted me and she said, no, I just want God to heal me. And it was one of these like super convicting, but like also really encouraging moments as a parent. <laughs> I was like, well, at least one of us has faith, right? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> but th what is it? Like that's someone who believes in the God who can. Like a God who can do anything. And I think too many of us in the church are still stuck believing in the God who might, but probably won't. Now listen, I get it. Like we don't know. When you, when you pray, we don't know if it's his will. But here's the tension that I think a lot of us miss. Even though we don't know if it's his will, we're still supposed to come to him in faith. We're supposed to approach him as the God who can. 
But, and I, but I feel like most of us are stuck sort of approaching me like, hey, God, I got this thing. Um, like, I just, I don't really, I don't really know if it's your will, and I, you're probably kind of busy, and like, I get it would be like really hard, and but like, if you can, and like, if you could find some time, like, we, we're kind of like the boy's father. We're coming to Jesus, saying like, well, if you, if you can do anything about it, I just love this passage because Jesus is almost offended, right? Like, if I can? No, really. Seriously? If I can? It would be like this. Okay, let's fast forward in my life. Uh, I don't know, seven, eight years, something like this. Maybe six. Let's, let's imagine that I have a middle school student, which I'm just looking forward to. That sounds really fun. Um, okay. Let's say that I have a middle schooler, and one of my kids has been assigned to give their first ever speech in front of their classmates. Do you remember that in school? Like some of you still have nightmares about this. Like the teacher says, hey, you got to give a three to five minute speech on a subject that you really like. Which whenever I think back about this, I, I always remember in every class, I hope this wasn't you, there was always one kid who like the teacher said, go three to five minutes, and they went 27. And you're sitting there going like, how do you not know you're over five minutes right now? Some of you are directionally challenged. Some people are just durationally challenged, right? They're just going on about the ins and outs of Sega Genesis or whatever they did their three to five minute speech on. Okay. But imagine that one of my kids, they've got to give a speech. And they sit down at the dinner table that night with our family. And they say, oh, I was just so nervous about this speech. I just don't think that I could give a speech in front of my classmates. I don't know how in the world I would write it. I don't even know how in the world I would deliver it. I just don't feel like I could capture anyone's attention or write something that has a good just flow. I just, I don't even know where I would find help with something like that. And they just get up and they say, oh, it's hopeless. And they walk up to the room. Like if that ever happens at my house, I'm offended, right? Because I'm thinking, hey, hello. I speak in front of people every week, and I'm talking about fairly important things. And I love you, and I want to help you. I can help you. And yet, I think think that's exactly how most of us live our lives, and that's how we treat our God. We go about our day, almost every day, and we talk to our friends, our coworkers, our spouses, about how miserable our circumstances are how difficult things are right now. And we're not sure if anything's going to change. And guess who's at the dinner table with you? Your father, hearing all of it. And he's thinking, he's saying to you right now, hello, hi, I can help with this. Like, this isn't too hard for me. And I love you. And I want to help. I'm the God who can. He wants, he expects you to treat him as the God who can do you. I think to come to him in any other way is not to truly understand who he is. It reminds me of uh, Corey Ten Boom uh, in her book, The Hiding Place, which is one of the best uh, autobiographies I've, I've, I've ever read, if you're looking for something to read. Corey and her a very Christian family uh, back in uh, World War II, uh, decided to hide Jews from the Nazis uh, in their house. 
And one of the things that they faced is, in those days, you know, the Nazis kind of controlled everything, and so you needed ration cards to, to eat, to have food. And she didn't have enough ration cards to feed all the people that she was hiding. And so she went to a particular official who was in charge of the distribution of the ration cards because she knew that this particular official was sympathetic to her work in the underground movement. And he asked Cory Tenboom, he said, how many ration cards do you need? And she said, I need five. And she paused for a second. And she thought again, she said, no, nope, I need 100. Because she believed in the God who can. And the guy looked back at her and was like, how am I supposed to get 100 ration cards? And because they believed that God would find a way, they kept praying and talking about it, and they eventually <laughs> staged a fake robbery. The guy had himself beat up so someone could come in and take the ration cards, and they got them to Corey Timboom so she could help feed the people that she and others were hiding. Because she believed in the God who can. I think many of us, we need to come to God today like the boy's father. We just need to say to him, maybe you just need to say to them when we go back and worship, just need to say, Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief. God, show me how big you really are. I confess to you that I just see you as too small. Because if you believe in a small God, here's what will happen. Not only will you have less faith, but then your prayer life, your relationship with God as a result is going to fizzle and that dilutes the effectiveness of your faith as well. And that's really the second point here. Second diluter is when we let our prayer life fizzle. Now just think, think through the implications of this. If you believe in a small God, you won't keep coming back to him, asking him to bring that family member to Christ. If you believe in a small God, you won't keep coming to him saying, God, my marriage is a wreck. Help me, help me. If you're just financially in this place right now where you're like, I don't even know how I'm going to pay the bills next week, you won't come to God if you believe he's a small God. Why? Because what? Well, why would you, right? What's he even going to do about it? Like, if you're in a spot right now where your prayer life is just, mm, there's not much to it, maybe it doesn't even exist, I can't completely diagnose it as this, but I think there's at least a good chance that it may be because you believe that God is too small. Because why would you pray to a small God? And that's going to have a negative impact on the effectiveness of your prayers, even when you do pray. Why is that? It's because the closer you are to God, the more effective your prayers will be. Now, time out for a second, because I need to make sure that you don't theologically misinterpret me. I'm not saying that the better of a person you are, the more God hears you. Uh, absolutely not. Our Christian faith is not based on good deeds, but it's based on the cross of Christ. We don't earn anything in Christianity. If you're just kind of checking this whole God thing out, Christianity says that we are saved, we are forgiven, not because of what we do, but because we believe in Jesus who died in our place. He lived the perfect life that we could not. Okay, so what do we mean when we say the closer you are to God, the more effective your prayers will be? I mean this. Those of you that really cultivate a prayer relationship with God, like you get up early, you stay up late, you're talking to God, you have this time where you're really seeking him every day, you are the people that are more likely to hear God's voice. 
Because you're seeking it. You're learning how to hear it. And if you are hearing him, then you're more likely to know what to pray for, right? You're more likely to know where to go, what to do, who to talk to. This was like when uh, Ben Pierce was here uh, two weeks ago uh, when I lost my voice. Uh, He was talking about he had a friend who was going to take or had taken 1,000 risks for God. Well, how do you do that? Well, in order to do that, right, you need to have this deep relationship where you're talking to God every day. How else do you even know what to risk? I want to make sure that we understand this because sometimes I think Americans, maybe because we're just so self-focused, we miss this. It's not the closer you get to God, the more he does your will. It's the closer you get to God, the more you'll be able to do his will. And the more you'll be able to believe that he is the God who can. First John says it this way. John writes, this is the confidence. So you want to increase your faith? This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. And so I think people who have a serious prayer life, they often get to see God move and answer prayer in a way that the rest of us just never do because they know and they're hearing what to pray for, right? And thus they're just moving. Oh, God, I see that you're doing that right now and I can just see you moving that. So I pray that you do more of that. And they're just seeing God move all the time while the rest of us are still just kind of randomly throwing things up to God that we'd like to see him do. It's not happening that often. But it doesn't have to be like that in your life. You can restart your relationship with God. You know, he he wants nothing more than to just deepen his relationship with you. He's so in love with you. That's why he sent his son to die on the cross for you. He wants to show you his love. He wants you to experience his power in your life. For some of you here, I believe the best thing you could do today would be to go home, go in your room, shut your door, and get on your knees and start asking God to just come back in your life again. Tell him you're just ready to start seeking him with all your heart. So often God doesn't answer us in our lives Because we're just not even listening to what he wants to do. He's not listening to your prayers. He's not answering them. Because honestly, he would rather just have your heart than just fulfill some of your wishes. Seek him again. And so here's where we are. We know... If we believe God is small, then we won't earnestly pray. And if you don't earnestly pray and seek him, then what's the next step of dilution? Well, then what happens is you just, this is number three, you just start doing life on your own. This is how things sort of fall apart in our faith. And maybe you've just been walking this exact playbook in your life the last year or two. In our passage today, I mean, you think of the disciples, right? 
they're still trying to do the right thing. They were ready to remedy the situation. Okay, we're dealing with this sort of possession here. And they're going in their minds like, oh, yeah, we know how this goes. We know the playbook for this one. They just did it earlier in chapter 9, even. However, this time it's not working. Well, why? What's the difference? Well, we're told they had little faith, but we get even more clarification at the end of Mark's passage on this. Look at this, Mark 9, verse 28. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. How embarrassing. Can you just feel, I'm almost going like to feel the shame of the disciples. Like they're trying to do the good thing, and they hadn't even sought God in his power in prayer. Like they learned all the motion, they learned all the commands. Okay, you go up to it and you say, in the name of Jesus, please come out. They knew all the right words, they knew all the right motions, they knew all the right formulas, but they had stopped relying on the power of God. And when you know all the right things to do, but you don't rely on God's power, who are you relying on? Yourself. And this is a dangerous place to be. Especially for those of you in leadership. If you're a house leader here, or you lead a small group, or you lead a, a ministry here, and over 50 of you do, many of you, you lead other things outside of here in the community or at work. It is a dangerous place to settle into a rhythm where we are merely just going through the motions. We're saying all the right things, but we are not relying on the power of God. Like you show up at a small group, maybe you're a small group leader. You show up at your small group every week, right? you read the passage, you ask the questions. Why is anyone going to change in your group? Right? Because you ask the words in a good way or something? Like what, like what are you relying on? Our own wisdom? I think so many ministries in the United States are floundering because we've stopped depending on God. We just started depending on our own systems, our own wisdom. In fact, this is something that I think our church just needs to press deeply into. In fact, we're going to take a whole series just on that point once we get into April. We can't expect God to do something if we're doing it on our own, if we're not relying on his power. If you're not really going to him and asking him to do it, he's not going to do it. Right? If it's like, hey, God, I'm going to go do this. If you could kind of come behind me and give me a boost and bless me. He's probably not going to do it. Why? Because if, if we're just going through the motions, like if our prayer life is just robotic and routine, like some sort of formula, he's not going to answer it. Why? Because he just wants you to seek him again. He wants your heart. Are you hearing that? He wants your heart. He wants your heart more than he wants to change your circumstances. He wants you to seek him again. He wants you to get to this place, and he'll just let things, he'll let things get a little bit messy sometimes. Because ultimately, rather than just like blessing all the circumstances that you want to happen in your life and sort of clearing the obstacles, ultimately he wants you to get to this place where you just go, God, I absolutely and fully need you. And sometimes he just lets prayers go unanswered until you get to the point where you'll say, I just need you. 
I just need you. Until you get to the point that when you pray, if it happens, he gets the credit and not you. So if you're here and you've kind of been in this spot where you just haven't seen God answer much prayer in your life lately, do exactly what I said five minutes ago. Go home, shut your door, get on your knees, and just ask him to come in your life afresh again. I want you, even before you leave this place, just to start brainstorming in your mind, how am I going to seek him again every day? How am I going to just stop going through the motions? How am I going to let my loving Savior back into my life? Because he can move in your life. He is so big. Way bigger than you imagine. He is the God who can. There's nothing, nothing that is too hard for him. But he's waiting for you to come under him, not to come over him telling him what to do. This is why the scripture always says, seek first the kingdom of God, and then everything else is added unto you. Will you come back to him? I pray that you do. Let me pray. Lord, we pray as a body right now that we would seek you anew. We would seek you afresh this week. Uh, We repent. We ask for forgiveness for doing so much in our own strength. May we become a church of people that are dependent on you. And God, as we just dive into you and press into you, I pray that we would be a people that see you answering prayer all over the place. That we see your kingdom come in Blaine, Minnesota in Anoka County, and that it just rings out from here because we are a people that are dependent not on ourselves but on you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.